where are you going to find a meek little house like Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of Hello and welcome, everybody. You are listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast, where we take you on a journey through Southern Appalachian history, one story at a time. I'm your host, Cami Ahrens, and today marks the beginning of March. I hope you all made it through the February snowstorms safely and warmly, and really hope that that groundhog is wrong and that spring is just around the corner. I know we're all probably ready for some nicer weather after what a terrible winter it's been for some of you. This month, we're going to do a two-part series in celebration of Women's Histories Month. But before I dive into that, I want to tell you guys about some really exciting news here at Foxfire. We are partnering up with Blue Ridge Public Radio, which is based in Asheville, but covers most of Western North Carolina, to collect stories, memories, photographs, any content related to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic since last March 2020 up to the present. We want to know how it's impacted you. We want to hear oral histories, interviews with friends, family members, community partners. We want to see photographs of empty shelves or maybe your toilet paper stash. Um, Whatever you think really captures your experience during during this pandemic, we are looking to collect those materials and put them in our archive And through this partnership with Blue Ridge Public Radio, we're actually working on a special series with them so that some of the oral histories that we've already collected as part of this project will be broadcasted. To find more information about that and to participate in the project or to tune in on the features that'll be coming out on BPR, head on over to our website, www.foxfire.org slash COVID-19. You'll be able to find all the information for participation and to keep up with project details there. Now, in celebration of Women's History Month, we are, as I said, doing a two-part series. This first podcast is uh, probably going to be a little bit controversial, but I think there's some really interesting perspectives included in the three narratives that I'm sharing today. All three interviews were conducted in the early 1970s, and I just want to position this in its cultural context really quick. Um, Nowadays, I think most of us, uh, younger women at least, have a you know, very different, maybe progressive understanding of women's roles, women's rights, uh, women's experiences. But back in the 1970s, um, which luckily was well before I was born, um, you know, there was really this pivotal movement going on in society. The women's movement really picked up steam in the late 1960s and kind of reached its peak in the mid 1970s. So two of the interviews we're sharing today are from 1975. Those were conducted by Foxfire student Bit Carver, who was doing a senior project on women's experiences in Appalachia. And she did some really great interviews with different uh, women in the area and compiled that into her project for school. So we're able to draw on some of those interviews to share with you today. In 1976, Time Magazine, instead of doing their annual Man of the Year, they elected women as their highlight. So they declared 1976 is the year of the woman. 
um, in, in a great article from January 5th, 1976, which you can access through Time Magazine's website. They wrote a really comprehensive article that it, uh, highlights a lot of the social changes that had happened over the past few years in the 19, early 1970s. And so I think that really helps us kind of situate these interviews. They equate this liberation to the, quote, spiritually equivalent to the discovery of a new continent. So really, I think there were some changes in the 1970s that we really couldn't quite fathom the impact um, in our in our current day and age because we just don't understand what it was like before. But what's really interesting about this article is that it um, touches on the U.S. International Women's Year Commission that really became part of the observance of the International Women's Year. So really big time celebration for women's progression and breakout into society and the workplace. Um, and I think a lot of things that we tend to take for granted. Now, that being said, uh, the very first interview I'm sharing with you comes from Addie Norton, who was interviewed many times over by Foxfire. Um, and she is very verbose. I think this particular interview was five tapes. Uh, and that's two sides per tape. So um, really sharing just a very small portion with you. Unfortunately, the audio quality was pretty poor. Um, so I was unable to share a lot of what I wanted to include. So I ask that you just bear with me, refer to the transcript if you need to, because I think that Addie has some really interesting things to say. And if you want to hear more from Addie, there's some really great chapters on her in um, a few of the Foxfire books, and I'll make sure to reference those again over on our website. So the conversation with Addie that I've shared here today begins with the Foxfire students asking her about how girls who, quote, got into trouble um, were treated in their society. And I just want to refer all the way back to one of our very, very first podcasts where we introduced you to murder ballads in the region and thinking about those murder ballads and how these folk songs were used to reinforce uh, social norms or social control, especially over women. And these are recurring themes that we can see in folk music in this region and in other places is this enforcement of social behavior, especially towards young girls, young women who fall in love with a man, get pregnant, you know, in some cases as, you know, songs by Dolly Parton, she loses the baby, or in some of these murder ballads, unfortunately, she becomes a victim because she's done wrong. And Addie, to some degree, echoes these social expectations or these social norms. So Addie was born in the 1890s. So at the time of this interview in 1975, she's in her 80s. Um, so her experience is obviously much different than the radical transformation that these young girls are witnessing in the 1970s. So I want you to bear that in mind as you listen to this first part of the interview where Addie is talking about how girls were treated. But what's interesting about Addie is she, while she states how girls were treated, she also voices her expectations of how the boys should be treated. The young interviewers kind of prompt her on this point, but she's emphatic that boys, especially her children, would have been treated the exact same had they gotten into these situations that the girls were in, um, and they would have been equally culpable for their actions. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting piece that maybe we don't consider as much or we don't hear as much because it you know, hasn't been popularized in folk songs over the past centuries. Um, so just you know, pay attention to that part. And then the second piece of the interview is about women working. 
Addie makes a strong statement about that she does not believe that mother should work. But that's kind of the key piece here. She doesn't make a judgment or a statement on women's expectations or what she thinks about women working, but she focuses in on mothers. And I think she has some interesting points. Um, I personally don't believe that, you know, you can't love on your children. Um, If you are a working mother, I was raised by an extremely hardworking mother and I feel that we have an incredibly close relationship because of the attention she gave me as a child um, and the relationship that we built from a very young age. Um, So I don't feel that working should come in the way of raising children. But something you have to remember is Addie is of a generation where families numbered between eight to 12 children. So if you're a working mother and you're trying to raise eight children, um, certainly you're going to be spread incredibly thin and probably not going to be able to devote as much attention to those children and to the upkeep of the household as you would have been able to if you'd been able to stay at home. And then the other thing to remember is this 50s, you know, through the 80s, there were huge strides in technology that relieved women of a lot of household duties. Think about the impact that a washing machine or refrigerator or a supermarket made. And I I know I see cookbooks all the time from the 80s about microwave cooking (laughs) and frozen meals because it was a big deal. It took a lot of responsibility off of women, which is kind of interesting because now we're circling back to this idea that everything should be homegrown and homemade for the health of the family and the health of the children. And that's something that's from Addie's time. That's how it was. So we're seeing kind of this, this circular nature of history and culture which is another topic for discussion. So without further ado, I'm going to leave you to listen to Addie, and then we'll jump into our next interview after she's finished. Um, I'm curious, like, say, say back when you were um, a teenager, um, what, what were people's attitudes toward girls who, like, made mistakes and got in trouble? Like, how, what, what? Usually they just 
sometimes one of them get married way years and years after things like that happen. But this same time, you know, they don't pay it, pay the attention to it in the world. Most of them, they do a little bit out there, but now you can there's so many girls, gets, uh, boys too, that gets by with things that they couldn't got by with a long time ago. Well, how, how do you feel about, again, that double standard that it's, it seems like it's always the girl that gets blamed, you know, and it's the girl that gets chastised, uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's the fellow that goes free, you know, and it's uh-huh. the fellow that gets excused with that, you know, boys I don't, will be blamed. I don't believe in that, honey. I don't <laughs> believe in that. If my boys, had a, a did that wrong thing, I would uh, certainly and sure got after them. They was just as bad to blame as a girl. I say that all the time. They're just as guilty, and they ought to be put down just as low as a girl. But they kick up their heels and go on. And that's the reason why I've always said to every girl that I ever talked to, for the Lord's sakes, to keep themselves in the right place because the boys don't care. You see, they can get out and they can, if they don't love you, really love you, they get out and kick up their heels and they're gone. And there's never nothing said about it. But you at home with your little little baby in your arms and people not caring too much for you. That's the way it used to be. And another thing I think is what's the matter anymore. The women all has jobs then to work at. They have babysitters. And the ba- and the, the babysitters keeps the children. Well, of course, they don't make them mind. And a lot of children is raised up this day and time that hardly knows who their mother and their daddy are. They're never with them. Their daddy and their mother both work away from home, most of the, uh, all day, and then some works at night. And I don't think that's good for a child. You know what I think a mother's for? What? To stay at home and raise her children until they get and uh, discipline and make them do what you want them to do until they get big enough to to be on their own. I think a mother's. Uh, I think a mother's place is at home. I don't care who don't agree with me. I think I was way I feel it. But you know, because that's the only time that you ever get to love them right through them and get them to love you is when they're little, and you can cuddle them up and love them, and they don't ever forget that. I don't care how little they are; they never forget it you cuddle them up and love them, you know, and, and things like that. And you don't do that if you were. You don't have time. And it was awful hard times, but I never worked a day for money in my life. And you know what? I think it was the best thing in the world for me to stay with my children. Mm-hmm. My children respects me, and they, a lot of us raised up today don't. I've heard them talk to their mother and daddy. Uh, if one of mine had talked to me like some that I've heard, I don't know whether he'd been got up yet or not. <laughs> Our second interview comes from Lassie Bradshaw. In 1975, Lassie was 
probably in her late 30s, early 40s. She already, you can you can see there's a divergence from her opinions versus Addie's. Um, she's very much in support of working mothers. And the clip I shared at the very beginning of this podcast about where are you going to find a meek little housewife is Lassie Bradshaw in this interview. And what's funny is the two Foxfire interviewers were actually asking Lassie if she knew of a housewife, if they they would be really happy if they could find, quote, a meek little housewife. And that's where Lassie comes with this retort, which is a really interesting point that they want somebody who is so contrary to the popular opinion, um, somebody that they see as is being just a little housewife. But I think the two Foxfire interviewers actually do a disservice to housewives because I think there's a lot of work that goes into being a stay-at-home mom. And Lassie kind of scoffs at them because she she disagrees as well. So I think this interview is a really great transition point. She's kind of the in-between generation. So have a listen to Lassie's interview and then we'll move on to our final interview. From my mother's time, my grandma's time's changed a, a whole lot. But say, in my mother's time, she didn't work, you know, there wasn't no public jobs for, for women. All they did was cook and wash and all that. And, yeah, with the family. Right. And uh, then from my time, well, when I first got married, they Really, when the women first started working, a, a lot of them in Raven County is when a shirt factory come in, I'd say. And do you know about when that was? Uh, and gosh, let's see, I've been married 18 years, and I'd say it was 10 years. I'd say something like 20, 25 years, roughly. When you say it's been that long? I don't know. The building looks that old, but I, I'd say know, at least 20 years. years. Yeah. At the least. So in the middle, in the 50s? Yeah. The 50s, I can remember when the women first started working at the shirt factory. You know, that's a big deal. It seemed like it started out there in Clayton, in a little room out there somewhere, right in town. Or training, they started training for, they uh, started working at the, at the, at the, at the factory. Uh, and that's when, you know, right here in Raven County, the women really stepped out because well, when I was a kid, I, wor I worked at uh, the pads, but I was lucky to have got a job. Oh, you did? Went, yeah. Oh. I worked there for three years. How'd you get there every day? Uh, I stayed there. I boarded. How about that? Uh, like, like during the summer? Mm -hmm. I stayed there uh, all the time school. We got for about three years. But I was lucky to get that. I mean, just like uh, the Bynum House hired, you know, so many kids in the summertime. And, but you're just lucky to most of the kids stayed home and farmed. Uh, other changes. There's so many changes. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are. Not only in working, but women's changed altogether. They yeah. just stepped out, I guess you'd say. Instead of sitting back and washing and cooking, they. Our family has changed a lot. I compared to to my family. I mean, and we've changed in over the years of when we first got married. When we first got married, he wouldn't hear of me working. There's no way. He still believed the woman's place was at home. And uh, I didn't work, I guess, the first 10 years that we were married. I didn't work. I stayed at home. 
which now I look back and I think, boy, in the world did I do at home for 10 years, you know? Yeah. Well, um, you did have little children for Yeah, quite a while. I did, I mean, but still, you know, Donna was little when I went to work. That's true, yeah. And, uh, uh, and I look back, like, uh, families can have a lot more if the wife will work. I mean, now it just about takes two to work. And I think Everett has realized that. But it took him a long time to to realize that. It took him a long time to bake me up on the cornbread. <laughs> but he beats me on work, and he uh, he'll bake bread, or uh, and on weekends he'll help with the washing, and he'll help with you know whatever. Well, that's that is kind really of good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. really good to hear. It, it's really, it's really. And I know I compare him to the other women's husbands. Like, oh, Lord, I am lucky. Yeah. 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 Because there's a lot of the husbands that still, they put in their eight hours, they come home, sack out on the couch, and you do everything for them. Yeah. Well, we're not like that. And even the kids, my kids are not like that either. Because they know that they have to, have to help. Mm-hmm. And we just all share together. Now, we really do. Uh, we ain't always happy about washing dishes. <laughs> no, I can't imagine <laughs> doing the laundry. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, how do you see like your when your mother was was say when she was first married? Like, did do you think she had any other choices than to any other choice than to like be a housewife and a mother? Like, I assume that's what she did. I assume your mother didn't work outside mm-hmm. the home. No, she didn't have any other choice. That's well, back then, really none of the women had any other choice. I wouldn't think. No. When they married, they married to to raise a family. And like there wasn't any job offers, so what other choice would they have had? Do you have any idea if your mother would have liked to have done something else? Now, my mom is an exception to other women because she was pretty old before I was born. She was like 39 or something. Oh, really? I believe if they had been, I don't know, it's hard to look back and say, you know, if they'd been in a place that she could work, could she? Could she? Because there were six kids, they wouldn't hardly been any way because back then they had to raise everything to eat and there wouldn't have been hardly any way that she could have worked. But she did work on a public job before she was married. Well, if you look at it today, of all the modern convenience, it is stupid for a woman to stay at home. In our time, if they couldn't clean up their house, Something's wrong. I mean, you got an automatic washer. You put it in, wash it, load it, close the day, run them through the dryer. Right. Uh, and women don't have to spend as much time at home cleaning. And I just wonder what people do that stay home that haven't got kids. I think how boring that would be. They tie themselves up in them soap operas and all that stuff. That's what they do. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, do you um, do you see instances of, of discrimination against women, like in your daily activities, or like in in Raven County? You know, I mean, we know there is discrimination discrimination against women, like everywhere in you know in some way. But like, do you do you think you run up against it yourself? From who, Susie? Well, oh, the banker. Have you ever tried to get a loan on your own without your husband signing or something like that? 
I was so proud of myself. I tried that because I always wondered what they would say to me if, uh, because Everett's always, if we had to borrow money, Everett's always done it. So one day we wanted a freezer. And uh, so I just took it on my own to go to the bank to see if I could get a loan because I know some people that couldn't. And it wasn't much, $300 or something like that, but it's the first time I'd ever borrowed money in my life on my on my own, and I didn't have any problems whatsoever. You didn't? No. The well, first question was asked, and, um, you, you and I really thought I'd done it. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband fussed at me after I did it, but I just wanted to see if I could. Yeah. But, uh, I haven't run into any really. Some cases women can do what the men do. A carpentry, I wouldn't think so either because uh, like they can't lift as much as a man. They can do just as good a work. Don't get me wrong, but they some of the heavy stuff that they can't do uh, as well as the man. They can't. They can't. Uh, pumping gas, any woman can pump gas. I mean, if they was a mechanic. Uh, it might be a different story. But if they train for a mechanic, they could do that also. Mm -hmm. uh, but a cart dry, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they could, I don't know. But I was thinking, you know, some of the heavier stuff, but then again, they wouldn't be doing it by themselves. So maybe helping mm -hmm. Uh Well, I know, for instance, uh, the girl that worked with everything, she should not have been on that job. I mean, there was no way. Uh, to have been uh, fair, the woman could not do what the men done. You couldn't do it, and I couldn't do it. And I feel like I'm just as strong as any woman to do men's work. I couldn't par carry a parcel all day, could you? Mm -hmm. uh, some of the heavy work they did all day, I couldn't do it. And she was put in there equal with the men, but she couldn't hold up the men's part of the job which I don't think that she, if she went in our equal as a man doing his job, then she should have carried the parcel all day just like the man did, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. for myself, for instance, I was brought up on the farm. I knew how to do everything, and I could do everything. I know what I could do. I can do almost anything ever can. There's things I can't do, and a parcel is one of them yeah. that I can't do. I could not run a parcel all day. They just ain't no way. I could, I could run a cross-cut saw all day as long as ever could run a cross-cut. So I could plow, I could haul out manure out of the barn, and I could do all that. But there is some things that I can't do. Uh, well, just like back to the Forest Service, the girls, uh, like they have people that watches the river. I mean, she could have done that just as good as anybody else did. did. Right. But then there's some things on that job that she couldn't do. Uh, that there's very few things that men can do that women can, and there's some exceptions that women not even could run a parcel. Like, uh, do you think that um, they place more emphasis on boys' sports, and like, do you think they give uh, preference to the boys in sports? I certainly do. Uh, I feel like they ought to have a a girls' football team, they have a boys' girls can play football with these boys. Yeah. And they like to play with these boys, so why can't the girls have a girls' football team? That's how I feel. Uh, uh, the boys play even more 
softball or baseball in the girls' school. Uh, yeah, I think the boys, uh, they work more within a sport than they do. The girls, I even feel like that the girls should work out on weights. I, I feel like that they, sure. that they mm -hmm. should have a I feel like that the girls should have everything that those boys do in sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like, uh, and I don't know how Donna feels about it, because I don't think Donna's going to be the tomboy I was. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, I don't think she is either. I no. think she's more into uh, more feminine things. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid she is. But uh, when I was a kid in school, uh, I felt like I could play this kid as the boys did. Our last interview comes from Emma Buchanan Chastain. She was around her late 20s at the time of this interview. Emma was one of the very first Foxfire students. She graduated from Raven Gap in the Foxfire program in 1968, and the magazine program had started in the 66. So she was there at the very, very beginning. Emma got married right out of high school. She married her high school sweetheart, and she talks about how her and her, her new husband, Tommy, really had nothing, and they had to, had to live in his parents' house, and everything that she has, um, including her very own business, she, she built from scratch. And the Foxfire interviewers and Emma have this conversation about female-owned businesses, and I, I didn't include it in this podcast because it, it was kind of a long conversation that took a couple of side roads, but... The gist is they went through all of the businesses that they knew in Raven County and listed who ran them and who owned them. And a bulk of them, surprisingly, were owned by women. And they do have a little bit of a conversation about what types of businesses could or could not be run by women. But I think it's, again, just an interesting perspective to see kind of this chronology and these generational changes between the three women that I've selected to share with you today. And just, you know, I wanted to talk to you about how you feel the woman's role has changed over the years, and if it's changed for the better, and how, and, you know, just stuff like that. As far as this here, you... Yeah, you, the mountain area. Mountain area, yeah, not yeah. like what you've read in the paper and stuff about milestones that women have Well, uh, I think it has, because a long time ago, you never saw a lady anywhere except just in the home. You know, you, she stayed at home all the time, and she worked, and she did her chores at home, and that was about it. And now you never see a lady, hardly, that stays in the home <laughs> that don't get out and work. And really, it's a shame that it's gotten this way, but it takes both husband and wife nearly to make a living. You and think they've done it out of necessity then? Or do you think well, done it because I think they have done it out of, out of a necessity, really. But I think that if the ladies would have stayed in the home and not got out, you know, career ladies, how this woman's lived and everything, I feel like if they hadn't got out, things wouldn't be as expensive as they are, and we wouldn't really need to work if we'd stayed in the home to start with. But of course, that would have to be as a nation, a nation as a whole, you know, yeah. would have had to done that. But uh, I'm not really, what you would say, liberated, I'm sure, in the sense that some people are, uh, because I feel like a husband needs to uh, uh, say, you know, I, if I want to go somewhere, I make sure it's okay with Tommy before I go. And if it's not okay, well, 
we'll talk it out, and he thinks it's not a good idea. Sometimes I argue, but sometimes I still don't go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, really that's that's one of the biggest things. It's just uh, things have really just changed so much because of women being away from home and working. Well, I'm interested in um, hearing like why you started your own business and how you got it together to do it and like when you decided you wanted to like run a beauty shop and uh, what what you had to do in order to get it together mm -hmm. you know. can we go through that well uh, really the reason when i first got out of high school of course we got we were married and uh, right out of high school yeah and uh then i started to work at this little pants factory and I worked out there for about three months. And I said, this is just not going to work. You know, this is just not my line. I'd come in in the afternoon, and it's a wonder that Tommy could even live with me. I was just hell. I mean, I was putting blood. <laughs> but to live with, really, because I, I, I always felt bad, and I was always tired. And, which, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not tired now, but I knew that that wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, you know you put in a day's work. But I knew that that wasn't really what I was supposed to be doing. I could just tell, you know, I didn't enjoy my work. And I feel like you work, say you go to work at 9 and you get home at 5 or 6 or maybe 6.30 in the afternoon. You are the biggest portion of your life, really. And I feel like you've got to enjoy what you do. And uh, after, I, after I worked at the Empire for that length of time, when I first got out of high school, I... I didn't think, you know, that I would go into school and take anything at all. And really, uh, I just, after I'd worked at the Empire for a while, I decided then to send in my application to go to Clarkson and take this course. And I went, and uh, we didn't have any money. I was to be frank with you, when we got married, we didn't have anything. We lived with Tommy's dad and mom in their basement. And oh, <laughs> we just didn't have anything, you know. We, uh, we, of course, now we knew that this land w that we could build a house here, and this land would be ours, you know. As far as we didn't have anything, we didn't. And the year that I went to school, I worked on Saturday at uh, Hazel's, Lafayette Hazel's beauty shop at that time. I worked out there. Well, the year that I went to school, Tommy didn't even have a job. That was oh, a year wow. that he could not even find a job. And if it hadn't been for his daddy and mama helping us, we'd have never. Really, we'd have never made I'd never gotten to go to school if we couldn't have lived there. And what little bit I made on Saturday, that helped pay the bills. And maybe he'd pick up a job, part-time job, here down in the back, you know. And that helped buy my gas and stuff to go to, back and forth to school. When, when you first decided, you know, that you'd had it with Empire and that you wanted to go to school and do this, did you get a lot of talk from people like, oh, your place is in the home, you shouldn't be doing this? Well, no, really, I didn't because, you know, Mother and Daddy, uh, they have always wanted their kids to do well, you know. And they've always said, Lord, honey, go ahead, you know, make a good living for yourself. They've always wanted us to do real well. And uh, which they didn't push, they never did push us. They kind of let us make up our own minds what we wanted to do when we were old enough, you know, to do so. Well, do you feel like you've had uh, more opportunity to choose what you want to do than, say, your mother did? Yes, really, I do, because now, back when Mother was coming up, I mean, everybody, when they got married, they got married to have children. Yeah. I mean, really. Now, yeah. she had five children, 
and they did. They got married to have children. And nowadays, well, Tommy and I have been married, well, six years, and we don't have any children, and we, it don't bother us that we don't have any children. Mm -hmm. It don't bother us in the least bit, and we have the right to say, well, if we don't want any kids, we don't never have to have any kids. Right. I mean, unless it's just a slip-up, you know, more likely it won't be. But we have, you know, we've just got the, we've got that step ahead yeah. without mother. You don't think your mother would have had that choice or would have felt free to make the decision to not have any children or something like that? I don't believe they could back then, really. I mean, yeah, maybe I mean, they I actually have, couldn't have. Yeah, I, I think that, but, uh, I never have really asked Mother, just out and out asked Mother, if she had it to do over again, would she have as many children as she had? Because Mother loved children. Mm -hmm. And, of course, right after she had me, why she had something done so she couldn't have any more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, if she had wanted to have had maybe just three and stopped at that, she would have had something done, you know. But I think she's well pleased with the family that she does have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, did she? Well, she's been working for quite a few years now, hasn't she? She went to work when Daddy got sick. When we found out that he had all the all the problems yeah. that he has. Well, well she went to work then. Been it's been let's see. I was a senior that year, so that has been six years. Did she? And that was the first time she had ever worked since through her whole married life. That's the first time she'd ever worked away from home. Did she have any objection to that, or did your father have any objection to that? Well, neither one of them, really. I feel like that, especially Daddy, didn't think, didn't really want her to go to work. But it was a thing that she felt like she had to do. I was still in school. Uh, Jack's, well, at that time, Jack's wife was living with us because he was in the service. She was pregnant. There was nobody else to, you know, to help make a living. And Daddy just wasn't able to do it either. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though she didn't make, she don't make anything about that place. I don't see, gosh, you know, it's a, Well, I think now it, does, it doesn't bother me at all now when I see on TV that a lady has accomplished and have got have gone far enough to be, say, like, a, well, there's a couple on up in high office, really. Mm -hmm. There's a couple like yeah. way on there. Yeah. Like governors and things like that. It doesn't bother me a bit that they are up that high. Yeah. Uh, and I don't feel like that it bothers Tommy, really. I mean, he's, like I say, the younger generation doesn't mind. It's just the older one. Mm -hmm. But now, even my daddy will fuss when he sees a lady right there in the office. He'll say, she don't belong up there or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But we might need it. We need a woman president. Maybe she'd straighten this world out. Yeah. <laughs> she might. She yeah. might. That might be the change we need. She might straighten this world out. Well, I hope you found this interesting and that it provides you food for thought. What I really wanted to accomplish in this episode was just to provide you kind of an overview of some of the different perspectives that exist within our collection and to kind of situate those historically. Again, the 1970s were a huge time of change, not just for women, but for all of society. Um, we see a lot of changes in the economy um, and in our culture, specifically as technology and transportation develop. A, a lot of legal changes are happening too. Roe v. Wade was in 1973, um, which you know had a huge impact on the women's movement and also women entering the workforce, finally being able to get into different positions because of new uh, legislation. 
And I just wanted to make sure that we presented different perspectives um, and from different generations. So I would love to hear from you all and what you think about these interviews. And if you're interested in hearing more, I'd be happy to share a couple of little bonus episodes um, because these are topics that came up a lot, especially between the young female students who were interviewing some of these older women. And I think that's a really important piece of intergenerational learning is to share your experiences in a really personal way that um, your interviewer can connect to as well as the interviewee. Um, so please, as always, reach out to us on Instagram at Foxfire.org, Facebook, Twitter, or you can shoot us an email and that is it still lives at foxfire.org. Like I said, we'll be back in just a few weeks with another installment on this month's podcast series celebrating Women's History Month. So make sure to join us then and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>